Hi team, it's that time again where I have a conversation with another kick-ass person in business. Now full disclaimer, this is not an inspirational business podcast, but you might be inspired. These aren't all going to be success stories, but they are all going to be real stories because I'm not here for the enlightened, fluffy, feel-good version of people's journeys. I want the nitty gritty raw versions. If you're a business owner, freelancer, entrepreneur, creator, or someone with a side hustle, I can guarantee you'll be able to relate to something in this episode because this is what it's really like to take a chance and chase a dream. Don't forget to hit subscribe and slide into my DMs on Instagram if you want to chat. I'm Sean, and this is not an inspirational business podcast. This week I spoke to Dylan Wooster. Now he's a finance broker that took a chance and started a local small grocers with his dad. We spoke about the challenges of starting a bricks and mortar grocer business without any experience, the benefits of having your dad as your business partner, and the importance of supporting and connecting with your local customers. Dylan also touched on how they had to pivot and innovate during COVID, some of the key lessons that they've learned, and what's next for them. This is my first episode with a guest who runs a bricks and mortar business, and it's actually really interesting to learn about the different kind of challenges they experience. Oh, and Dylan also dropped some pretty good financial tips at the end of this episode, so make sure you stay tuned for those. Dylan, thank you so much for joining me this morning. It's an absolute honor to have you here. Do you want to start off by introducing yourself and telling us what you do? Yeah, my name is Dylan. I'm a Kiwi living in Oz, like so many of us. I'm actually a forex broker, so that's what I do for my regular job. But over the last four years, I started and have grown small grocer here on the Gold Coast and uh, recently opened the cafe as part of that as well. Uh, I've done that in partnership with my dad. Yeah, we're pretty lucky. We've got each other as partners. We've worked together for about five years before that. But it's been a pretty cool journey so far lots of little hurdles and things like that. But yeah, we basically have a little black and IGA. It's called the Farm at Nobby's. Um, If you're listening and you're local, you can find on the Gold Coast Highway, just at Nobby's Beach. It's a beautiful little shop, lots of fresh produce, uh, lots of cool little deli items and things like that. You can ask for a cheese platter, we'll make out something special. And uh, now we can make good coffee too. Amazing. So let's start with... running a business with not just a family member, but your actual father. So you guys had worked together prior to this. So you've obviously got a really solid relationship, but how does that dynamic come into play in business? I think because like, we've always been so close. I'm really lucky. We've got a really good relationship. I can talk to my dad about anything. He's, he's just as much a friend as the other parent. When I was younger, I relied on him for a lot in terms of lessons. And then I think as we got older, he started to rely on me a lot for energy as his energy started to tap out. In saying that, he does a lion's share of, uh, of actual hours in the shop. I do the books and I come in on the weekends and cover shifts now. But in terms of how we work together, I think it's really fun. There are certain ways that you wouldn't speak to a regular staff member that you can do with your dad or they can do to you. I mean, I suppose the biggest thing for us is like finding our strengths and weaknesses within each other and then clearly setting expectations for each other around those. So that's that's the big thing. Like I know dad's not good at something or he knows I'm not good at something. The other one just steps up and takes it over. And it's sort of a no questions asked type arrangement. And it's, you know, you get on the phone, oh, hey, I need you to do this. Oh, all right. I'll understand exactly what it might be. And I'll be like, I can do that in a heartbeat, that bit why I don't. I'm not going to ask you why you're asking me to do it. But that took, you know, even though we'd worked together, we'd, and we'd worked together for five years when I was younger, and I'd worked mainly for him, it took a good six months in this business to get to that arrangement. And there were plenty of heated conversations. You know, you have constant disagreements around finance or, or the direction you need to go, what stock needs to go here, and do we need to diversify our product line? Are we getting enough in? So many different things that if you were dealing with someone else who wasn't 
you know, your father. You could probably get caught up in a bit of a power trip or even, you know, be a victim of that, I suppose. But well, I think when it's your dad, it's pretty easy to get slapped back in the right direction and vice versa. So, yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that I think has been the biggest for us. It's so interesting. I've spoken to a couple of people who were partners with family members. Hmm. And I always had this idea that, like, don't start a business with a family member. Like, it'll cause so many troubles. But everyone I've spoken to says very similar things to you, that because of the relationship that you have, finding that balance in strengths and weaknesses becomes a lot easier. And you know, you know that person so well that it's really easy to pick up that slack and communication is generally easier because you're not having to like navigate just the business side of the relationship. So much of that, I think is being able to switch off as well and going back to being that family afterwards. I mean, we, I popped around and dropped off some lemons and kiwi fruits my old man yesterday and he's like hiding behind his little door because he's got COVID at the moment. And he's like, we did this much at the shop today. Uh, like the first thing he says, not, hey, Dylan, how are you? You know, he'll say that. But like, I know that once he's got that out of the system, we're back to being father and son, which is really nice. And then I know how much, uh, how many accounts I've got to reconcile on zero. <laughs> so quite fun. But yeah, maintaining that, that side of our relationship has been really important. And we did struggle with that at the start. We're fortunate, like, even though I was, you know, reasonably young when we started, we weren't living in the same space. So there wasn't as much crossover. But mum did give us a bit of a hiding around family events, like no shop talk. No, that's it enough of this and yeah so that was quite funny having a mediator can be very helpful <laughs> yeah most of the time <laughs> so i mean i don't know even where to begin if i wanted to start like a progress grocer store what was your experience between like you and your dad how did you guys go into this totally honest with you it was an accident i was basically a glorified salesman driving around the country in queensland doing you know i would drive up to 11 hours for you know a week's work and then stay out there for the week and do whatever else, selling insurance and selling medical products for a company that just basically did devices for, for older people to help them get better. I was so sick of driving around. A mate of mine was in uh, fruit and veg, and I'd always been like, man, I'd love to have a little shop, shop near home. But never really thought that I would actually go into something like that because it wasn't something that, you know, while I really like to, um, I love cooking, so I love, I love fresh produce and being able to make something nice. Never, ever in a million years have I thought that. But I, I drove home, I think I was out in Bundy for, for a week or something like that, and I drove home, and then um, on the way home, I was like, I'll go see Dad. My missus is at work, I'll go see Dad and just, just see how he's going. And um, I, I sort of, you know, sort of complained a little bit, like, sick of driving, blah, blah, blah. You know what I'd really like? I'd love to just open a shop within a half hour home and be able to, like, sort of do something for the community. It'd be really cool to, like, get to know the neighbourhood and stuff like that, you know, and, and make some friends down there. He was like, oh, there's a shop for lease up the road. And I was like, Really? Half an hour later, we were in the car, we're down there, like, you know, poking our eyes through the window, calling the agent, like, what's going on here? Like, can we figure it out? And then, um, you know, she sort of gave us a good hint of what the rent might be. And we were like, oh, a bit run down, needs a bit of work. And then we're like, I wonder what would work in here. We're just sort of scratching our heads, like, you know, absolutely no idea what should really be there. And so we, we walked in next door and there's a place next door called The Shack. They do smoothies and stuff, or at least they used to. They'd been there for 10 years. And Eddie, the old owner, he goes, what are you guys doing? And I was like, oh, oh we might get a lease here. He's like, oh, what are you going to open? I'm like, I don't know yet. <laughs> and he goes, oh, we need fish and chips and we need a fruit shop. And uh, I was like, I was like, that's good. I'm not very good at using a deep fryer. So we went to the next door down and we, we knocked again. And what do you guys need in the neighborhood? Fruit shop came up again. Went to the next one, fruit shop, went back down the other side of the road, did the same thing, you know, and then um, 
thought, oh, that sort of settles it, doesn't it? Went in the fruit shop in this area. It was, and there used to be an IGA up the end of the street, and it was really good. It was run by its first owner, who did like a map of everything was tidy, and they sold it to a new owner. I don't know if they were experienced or not, but apparently there was just like rotten produce everywhere, and it was horrible. And they ended up having to close. And it was a big site, like there's three shops in there where it used to be. And our shop is probably half the size of a regular IGA, but we've managed to pack in like more stock than a normal IGA. So we kept going back and forth to the site, calling my friends like, hey, can you get this sort of stock? Can you get this? How fast can you get it? How long will it take? What will orders look like? Blah, blah, blah. Here's two guys who have no experience running a small grocer being like, yeah, we'll open it. So then we just we just put an offer through. Um, like I'd saved up a little bit of money doing my doing my previous job and uh, my old man had a little bit tucked away and uh, we asked for a loan for my uncle and yeah we can, like, three weeks later we just opened the shop oh, three months later we opened the shop so it was it was crack up absolutely crack up that's insane i like that you did so like real basic market research though like basic. <laughs> hey neighborhood what do you all want here and that it just sort of fell into your lap i guess it's yeah, I mean, it was it was just the strangest thing. And um, as soon as we told people, they were queuing at the door for the like. We, we were getting everything ready for about a month, and they were queuing. Like, they were waiting for us. It was crack up. It was so fun. Like, I was so excited. First two weeks, we were just like, "Oh my god, what's going on? There are people everywhere down." And then it all changed. We had that first two weeks, and it was just like our bell curve come up, and it was just on its way down real fast. And we were like. We've only got a day to sell the stuff that's in our shop and we realise what we've done. <laughs> yeah, fresh produce get delivered in the morning. You get it on the shelves that afternoon and then, you know, you sort of want it out of there by the next morning. So you got the next lot of stuff to come in. And we were like, right, so we have to do this much and turn over a day just to, you know, keep up with this. And we're like, well, we did that for the first two weeks. What's happened? And I think like a big chunk of that was our lack of experience. You know, the time it takes for people to change their habits. Like all your early doctors, you know, everyone come in like, oh, I'm going to get this and this. And they grab like two or three little things, you know, but they, they weren't grabbing like a whole heap of fruit and veggies like they, they would in a normal grocery shop, you know, like they're not filling teenagers' lunchboxes. So it was basically like almost way down. And then it was a very slow, slow slog back out of the bottom of that bell curve. So much so that we got to a real scary point. I think we opened in November and in February, which is like traditionally the worst retail month. Not only is it the shortest month, everyone has credit cards for Christmas, everyone has, you know, rates notices, all their big bills. You hit that point and you look outside and you're like, where's everybody? <laughs> like, this is not good. And, you know, like there was a point, I think, for about you know, the longest time between someone coming in the door was like close to an hour. And I was like, oh, I'm in so much trouble. And then March came and it got a little bit better. And then it sort of went a few more months on and sort of June, July came. We're like, oh, no, winter's going to be tough, you know. And it actually turned out to be a little bit better than expected. You know, just like tiny little increments each time right through to we made our first year and then we've celebrated. We're all happy that we got through our first year and then the second February hit. And that was the hardest one because all the capital that we had, the loan money we had, that was drying up. And that month was just brutal. Absolutely brutal. I think it just it felt like the first one, but then with no money in the bank. So there was some patches where I didn't get paid for some time. You know, we weren't paying ourselves very much, you know, at the start, barely anything really. And I went through several weeks without getting paid at all. And that was a bit frustrating. And I'm pretty sure my old man did the same. No, I don't know for sure because, yeah, I just don't know. But he, he needed it more than I did anyway. Let's put it that way. And yeah, it was probably for about two or three months, it was stressful to the point where I had like, not an emotional person, but I ended up 
in the cool room out the back and like in our cool room you can see through the shelves back into the shop um but i was in there and i i hadn't cried as like a grown man and till then and i was like oh no i'm gonna have to give up all of this and shut it down like, i don't know what to do I'll let my dad down I'll let, let like my family down let, let charlie my partner down i was stressing i was stressing big time and then after probably a good 20 seconds of being a bitch I slapped myself and I slapped myself really hard and I stood up and I walked out and then the next day it just went like, and it worked. But the next day the shop just changed and we hit our budget and I was like, that's weird. Then the next day we hit budget again and then the next day and then the next day and then the next day and the next day and and it just built. And obviously with one of those sorts of businesses, you need to turn over things quickly for it to get better as well. Um, Because obviously, as soon as you're not turning over quickly, you're throwing out heaps of stock because you don't want to sell it because it's not good enough quality and people won't come back. So it's just such a big snowball effect when things slow down. But the same thing happens when it goes in the right direction where it snowballs in a good way. And yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, there was still like a couple of lowish months after that, but it just went, yeah, it just got so much better. Um, It was great. And so we were sort of two years in and we were like right we're you know we're starting to hit the ground running we're getting exciting getting excited and me and dad did have a couple of like blow-ups at each other at that time because i was worried that because of our lack of experience we were not maintaining the quality of the stock how we should have and um, one big solution to that is you know sort of try and be more specialist and focus on that sort of stuff and you know really look after it and the other solution is to diversify your stock range and i was i was i was more so We've already got the fresh stock. We need to specialize in it. And I was wrong to a degree because at the end of the day, if we're the only shop in walking distance for all those people, we need to offer them what they actually want and what they need for a couple of months. I think Dad actually let me take that side of it forward, you know, to specialize in the fresh stuff. And our fresh water just got way better. Like everything was pristine all the time and our turnover got better as well. But then it was pretty clear, like, oh, my God, we're not actually going to hit the goals we want to hit unless we have enough stock to, you know, fill the trolley properly. Then it was just like, right, I was wrong. Let's go. And then we had already prepped everything so that we could just go for it. You know, like we go on the suppliers, stock, well-priced things. And we tried to do a little bit like what LD does, but they have their alternative brands. So we, we tried to stay away from anything that we could get in the supermarket so that people liked it. They'd always have to come back to us. And that worked really well. The offset of that is supermarket brands are cheap, whereas ours become a little bit more pricey. But on average, when we actually work back, like our price per kilo or price per uh, unit on things, most of the time it's actually the same. In some cases, our fresh produce, well, in most cases, our fresh produce is probably cheaper. But because it's such a small space, if you don't see like an abundance of something on a price, sometimes it, it doesn't translate very well. But yeah, once we started doing that, it just lifted up again. It was, it was very, very cool. I mean, this is the epitome of the roller coaster of business <laughs> of, you know, getting to that point of being ultimately rock bottom where you think that's it. Like it's, you're going to have to pack it in. You've, you know, the time, the energy, the money, everything that you've put into it and you're not seeing the returns on it. And I know that feeling of getting to that point and it's just like pure desperation and it sucks. It's horrible. But then sticking through it and then sort of beating the curve and and going in the in the upward direction again. <laughs> like I said, I wouldn't even know how to think about starting a grocery produce anything. And you talked a little bit about, you know, cash flow and juggling stock and products and that whole sort of thing. So it's obviously been a pretty steep learning curve for you. The way that I see it with bricks and mortar is at the end of the day, it's it's your community. 
they're your customers, they're the people that you're there to support. So how have you found ways to sort of integrate within your community and be that supportive business for them? I mean, we, we did some some on sort of charity drives, but I think the biggest one for us was actually when COVID hit. Like obviously there was heaps of pressure on everyone to sort of freak out about their finances and stuff. As soon as COVID hit, everyone was like, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. Like, is the world going to end, et cetera. We're in lockdown, so now we can open. We're in fresh produce. And the reason we chose fresh produce at the start was because it doesn't get shut down for anything because it's an essential service. And we didn't know that COVID was going to happen. But we were like, worst case scenario, when people are broke, they need to eat and we can change our business model to be cheap, fast, get it out the door. People who are wealthy, they want to eat good, in which case we can, you know, we can look after that. Um, and we can always be open, you know, 364 days a year, basically. We're only shut on Christmas. Up to that sort of first two years, it was just me and dad in the shop, and we had a casual or two come in and you know, do the odd hours. My sister would come in and do a few hours every now and then. And then we were like, right, we need to get some staff in and start doing X, Y, and Z. And then COVID hit, and we were like, what do we do? And no one wanted to go to the supermarket. And our community just got behind us straight away. And we went from doing like, you know, it's sort of just hitting budget or just over to being like, well, something's just happened. You know, I'm fighting like a large retailer for toilet paper through my suppliers. And I'm like, I need this much. Like, Woolworths isn't getting that much today. Like, I need it. You know, um, and uh, it was just, it was just weird. It was just such a strange change. And um, at the same time, we got to a point where we were like, right, what are we doing? Like, the business is doing well. It's getting its turnover. Are we going to sell it? Are we going to open another one? Like, what are we going to do? And part of it was we, my father and I both wanted to earn X amount. And I had to take off and basically start working somewhere else so that he could get paid more. He's, um, like, dad's in the 60s. He does not want to be in the job market again. I was like, you're a pretty smart dude. You do well. He's like, no, I love the shop. I'm like, yeah, but I also love the shop. He's like, he's like yes, but I put my money in. I'm like, that's fair then. <laughs> I got you, fam. Um, so, yeah, basically that's that was what happened. I ended up I ended up looking for something else um, with the intention to obviously have income to borrow again, purchase some, another, and open a second location or to make sure the shop was in a position to sell and hand over to a new owner should we do that. And we were sort of not sure what to do, but our community saved us, to be honest. They made us want to stay in it for longer because they all started turning up and coming through. And yeah, we tried to do volunteering with like surf life saving and donating bo- like fruit boxes and stuff like that. More recently, uh, with the uh, dad was really good. He, he packed up heaps of dry goods and fresh produce and got them down to Bismore and to Moolambar for everyone who'd been in the floods. Um, to be fair, we probably should have taken advantage of that, put some pictures on Facebook and stuff, but that wasn't really what it was about. But we did that sort of stuff and, and people were really grateful. So we, we were happy. And I think like some of that, we've had the old person come in and be like, oh, hey, I just want to say thank you, et cetera. So that was really nice. But the big thing that we, we found with the COVID stuff, the elderly people in our neighborhood, and there's plenty of them, were so scared to leave, leave, the, um, leave their home because of you know the Sydney sneeze that wasn't even around yet. And we were like, oh, well, they're probably not too sharp on the computer. They probably don't want to go online and, and order fruit and veggie boxes. Um, but we did. We started our online store, and that started turning over as well. I was like, "Why don't we just have a text service where someone can text in an order and their, and their address, and if it's in range, we can just drop it off to them." And so we just ended up getting all these like big boxes of stuff, like loading them in the car and then dropping them off, and like you do a quick run around. You know, you made friends with all the all the oldies as well, and you were like, "Look, it's a little bit heavy. Do you want me to bring it in? I know I'm not supposed to, but I can. I can put it by your door. Or I can put it on your bench, so you don't have to lift it up." They'd be like, oh, that's okay, dear. you know. And, um, but that was really cool. I think being able to do deliveries for the, 
the older people in our community really helped. Um, and then when they were, when our lockdowns ended, you know, they sort of come down. I was so happy to be out. And they all said thank you. So that was, that was cool. That was a good thing for the community, I think. It's awesome. I mean, I think of like in where I grew up in my neighborhood, we had like a local corner store that was like a fruit and veg store. And it was a staple of our neighborhood. Like us kids all spent time there. All of our parents, you know, ran in to grab something on the way home from work and things like that. Like the way that I see your shop is just, it's that staple establishment within the community. So being able to offer those services, especially during COVID. And for the record, I lived on the Gold Coast during COVID and I got fruit and veg box from Dylan's shop. <laughs> oh yeah, you did too. They were absolutely incredible. But no, I, I think- I remember I- goes, should it be more expensive? I was like, no, and I, just like, I just like slammed a few extra sweet potatoes in there for you guys, I think. It was amazing. It was so, so good. But I mean, it's small things like that, that as a small local business, and especially when you're still in the early stages of business, when you're not, you know, massively established, those small things go such a long way for making an impact and sort of making a name for yourself as a business. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I mean, hopefully that stuff like hangs around for a long time, that vibe. And we still get, we still get the odd online order. And I suppose that was quite a good little booster for us in terms of people building that habit too. I mean, there's a lot of, I suppose, like wealthy people in the area who live close, but then at the same time, you know, they're often wealthy because they work all day, every day. And like by the time they, like we close up at six or seven o'clock at night, they're not home from work yet. And so they, they need a box like sitting at their door waiting for them. So we still get the odd person like that, which is nice. And then we get people like, you know, swing past in the car in the mornings now, like I need a coffee. And they just like run past. And it's funny, like the, the cafe side of things has been really cool. So um, just for, for reference, our cafe side of it has only been open for two months now. So like I, I recently traveled to the UK. We opened it like two weeks before I traveled, uh, learned how to make coffees, put it in. We had uh, two qualified baristas who were working in there really nice. Um, so they'd have like alternating shifts and there'd be someone else in there to actually look after the rest of the shop. And um, yeah, we've, we've built a little market, but like next door to us, the shack had closed and moved up the road. And we were like, oh, God, I mean, they used to do heaps of coffee. Like, we need to make sure that we can we can service that. And in our lease, we're set up as a grocer in Delhi. And I've never found a deli that doesn't actually sell coffee. Um, so that right, I went to do this. So we put a put a little window in so that we could uh, use it as both a servery uh, for people buying, like, any sort of drink as well as coffee. And then we got, like, some little, like, you know, grab-and-go items as well, which was really cool. And, um, yeah, we've seen like a queue, like a few doors down being like, you know, six long out to the street. And now we've taken that queue and we've always got a few people like waiting to line up and grab a coffee. And uh, we've, we've had pretty good reviews on it so far. So I'm happy about that. Even uh, like last night when Mrs. and I went out to dinner in Nobby's across the road at a new Subalaki place and the people are really nice. And um, I was like, oh, where's good to get a coffee out here? And the girl behind the counter is like, oh, I just go across the road. And I'm like, oh, really? I was, I was like, well, what, what sort of coffee do you have? Like, who, who normally makes it for you? Because I, I, I know those people. <laughs> just been a, oh, a little, a little bit of like pretend mystery shopping going on. Yeah, I did. I did tell her afterwards who I was, but I, if she had said something negative, I was like, oh, look, that's really good to know. And I probably would have just told the staff. <laughs> but yeah, no, she she gave us a really good review, which was nice. Awesome. So you've obviously had quite a massive sort of growth and and you've been able to pivot and change and adapt to different situations in the business. So you started off, you know, fruit and veg, some deli products, and then you've grown that. Now you've opened the cafe section of it. So what's next? 
It's a, it's a funny one because, I mean, Dad's getting older now. So, I mean, we've sort of talked about what should we do, you know, like um, he goes, I don't know if I have the energy to open another one. So I know that if we open another one, it would be me that would have to, you know, I suppose, take the bull by the horns on that side. And then on the other side of that, the, I mean, the biggest part about any retail business is your lease, to be honest, like that is the most stressful thing when you're negotiating it, but also it's the most important thing to your business's value because really you only have a multiplier of what your business turns over plus you pay your owners and how long that lease lasts to determine the actual value of your business. So if you get a two-year lease, you know, someone's like, oh, let's get a job. But if you've got a five-year lease or you've got a, a seven-year lease or a 10-year lease and you've got options in and out during that lease, all of a sudden you can multiply, you know, a million dollars turnover a year a few times out and then and subtract the costs and you've got a value for your business. So, I mean, that makes a big, big difference. I think for us, the next stage is, I can't really say too much because we are in negotiation for something already, but we have been looking at a secondary site and we'll either be scaling up the current shop and moving it, and I mean like scaling it up quite significantly so that it's a pretty decent sized store with like a sit-in area and, you know, a little like carvery and, you know, somewhere where you can sit and have a, a coffee and then also sit outside as well as having a fully fledged grocer and, and other serveries within there. So like, you know, fresh meats and stuff like that. If we're going to go any further with it, we'll go pretty big time. And the other side of that is to uh, extend our current lease, maintain that business, open a secondary location and continue that model on, but maybe just a small amount scaled up. The third option is to look at a sale. But I mean, it really just is going to depend on, I mean, because that, that's the only thing about, about working with family, you know, when you've got a, when you've got a business partner and say, oh, do we buy each other out? You know, you, you sort of think like that. I can't picture myself doing it without my dad. And only because, and if I'm totally honest, we rely on each other like we are an extension of ourselves. For example, yesterday morning, my alarm went off about 6, uh, 6.30. And at 6.31, there was a text message here on, on my phone. And I, I'm not supposed to be in the shop again till the weekend. There's a text message on my phone. Oh, hey, can you go do this, please? And I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be at my other job at 8. But yeah, I can go do pickups and deliveries for the shop. <laughs> so I guess that's what I have to do because, you know, you can't. So I guess that's what I'm doing this morning. And that's happened multiple times this week already. <laughs> and then other deliveries and stuff like that going in. And, oh, hey, I have this on. Can you jump into the shop and, and cover these hours? Yeah, right. I can't see that happening if I have another business partner. Um, you know, oh, no, mate, I've got, I've got kids this morning. I'm like, bring them in. You know, that, and that's how we think. Like, and I know that's exactly what my dad would say. Kids love shops. Take them in. They'll have a good time. Make them a coffee. He'll be going around fixing the shelves. That's exactly what my dad would say. It's work. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. Whereas I just can't imagine that sort of like undying commitment from someone who wasn't family. And even so, like, I think the relationship between me and dad is pretty special. And that's made a big, big difference. So I... Yeah, I would be very nervous to open something with someone else. I would almost rather be alone and do it myself than be with someone else. So I'm not sure if, I, if, if I'm in a position to keep the shop where it is now without him, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. I hope he listens to this. <laughs> yeah, oh, don't you worry. He gets his, his uh, fair share of, uh, of kind words from me. So I'd probably get some nasty ones too. But What would um, you say is sort of one of the biggest lessons you've learned throughout the last couple of years on this journey that you really weren't expecting in terms of business? I'll say one first that I was expecting, but I wish I had it listened to more so. And that is that experience counts so much more than anything else. I mean, you can have good new ideas, that's no problems, but executing them in an environment like that that's really competitive you need experience like we we're fortunate enough a guy called don mears who runs another store and has run several businesses along the coast including a you know a, a supermarket of his own but now runs his own fruit shop 
we do buying together. And honestly, every time I see him, and I've already seen him twice this week, even though I'm not supposed to be working, I'm like, Don, tell me about this, tell me about this, tell me about this. And you're just four years into the journey, and I'm probably asking what are pretty novice questions. Um, if I could go back into it again, I would definitely go to someone like that and be like, hey, I will pay you a really good wage for a month if you come into my shop and work with us and tell us how to set it up. That would be worth its weight in gold. Because I think if we had someone like that in at the very beginning, all the little mistakes we made wouldn't have happened. The next one, when you model your pricing at the start and you're in a competitive environment, it's better to be cheaper, earn your way and gain customers rather than start off expensive and then try and dwindle down. So you're better off starting cheaper and rising it up and building a loyal customer base and you know providing them a quality product and a reason to come back and slowly bring your prices up to a point where the shop's at a really manageable cash flow level rather than start high and trickle down because all you do then is scare away everyone early and you slowly wonder where they're going. And you're like, oh, it's too late. We need to reduce our prices. And so all of a sudden you reduce your prices down. Everyone's already made up their mind. So I think that was probably the biggest thing that I knew was a red flag and I found that out three months in. And it was, it was after that bell curve come down. We were like, you know, Christmas is over. Like, what do we do? That was definitely it. Oh, another one. Uh, it's probably most people know this, but get a really good account. Um, I mean, I do, I do most of our books now, but in terms of if, you, if your business is ready to scale and you want to get big, you need an accountant who can help you do that, um, who is blunt as well. You don't want someone who's too nice. You need someone who's like, that's not going to work because that's a dumb idea. And you need them to tell you why. And you need them to tell you why quickly so that you don't go and invest all your time and effort into something. I think all three of those are really important, regardless of the type of business you have, whether it's a, you know, a physical bricks and mortar business, or if it is a service-based online business, like the mentorship consultant experience element. I think that's something that a lot of people shy away from investing in at the beginning because at the beginning it's all about you know cash flow and not spending too much money on things but if you can tap into someone else's experience straight off the bat and you know jump over all those initial hurdles and those mistakes that we all slip into i mean in my opinion it's completely invaluable and with the pricing structure i think that goes in every direction and the accountant this is one that i resisted for so long in my business i was like i don't need a bookkeeper i don't need an accountant i could do this all myself and then you know three years in, i'm like what is going on (laughs) i don't even know how to read my own reports and i got a bookkeeper and she has literally changed my life (laughs) i think all three of those are amazing now I know that you've been sort of in the like entrepreneurial hustle life for quite a while. Like this isn't your first rodeo as a business owner. Mm-hmm. Do you want to sort of touch on some other experiences you've had and lessons that you learned during those? Yeah, of course. I think um, one of the more recent ones, I had an insurance business. It was actually going quite well for a little while. Um, I even branded up my car and I was driving up and down the coast doing it. I think... The, the big thing with that is, is just so anyone listening is wondering, I did uh, like personal insurance or risk insurance for like income protection, life insurance, things like that. It's a pretty boring product really when you think about it. Um, I was lured to it. I was working with my dad at the time called uh, We Investing. So we did that, um, yeah, basically uh, new build property investments um, sold off. And I mean, all those clients that we sold to now that would be, have hang on to them will be absolutely stoked because their houses have doubled in the last two years. But yeah, I, I basically went into insurance as a, an added value service to that where I could go out to our clients and say, hey, look, 
you, you, you've accumulated a little bit of debt on these investment properties. If you lose your job or, you know, you become unwell, whatever it might be, you hurt yourself, you know, you probably should have something sitting there to just make sure that you're paid out for you know, a set amount of time to you, to you better. And um, we decided to do it as an added value service and that seemed really good. At the same time, ASIC was changing like their lending regulations and it made new builds quite difficult to get into. Um, your borrowing capacity had to be really significant to get in and there's sort of a lot of barriers to entry and I was like, I don't know if the future in this side of things is going to be as happy as I want to be. So I jumped into the insurance side of stuff. Again, made that mistake. Not enough insurance, uh, not enough experience. But I did have a really good mentor, uh, Jody Henderson. He, pretty uh, based guy. He knew everything about insurance. He couldn't say the word specific for some reason. He would always say Pacific. And I used to, I used to always be at him and he couldn't understand why. Um, so he's like, he's, he was a shorter guy. He honestly had like the 80s, like 10 gold rings on his hands. Um, like wore a suit and tie everywhere. You know, we'd meet at McDonald's for a coffee or a meeting for a quick chat, and he'd be all suited up and he'd bring like an advisor with him just to talk to me. And like he hadn't made any money out of me at this time. And I was like, oh, this guy's investing in me. I've just realized what's happening. This guy's investing in my efforts to, to grow a business because he's going to get a cut of what I make. So he is, he's putting all that effort into me. Um, he was really helpful. Um, but I think my work ethic now is so strong. Because I've gone through that experience where my work ethic, it was still good, but it wasn't what I needed in order to be really successful. And as a result, I ended up moonlighting for a, another company doing medical product sales, which worked out well. Because like if I was traveling away with that company, I could you know schedule one or two meetings in the evenings to go sell someone insurance. And that was how I managed to save up money to open the shop. Um, so that was really good. But after doing it, I was like, I don't think I can do this without moonlighting, to be honest. Because I mean, I'm getting I'm getting good money from this, and there's no risk and, and everything else. And then as soon as you go back to being a, a one trick pony and, and working for someone else, you're sort of like, what have I done? Like I've just given up all this opportunity. So um, I mean, that gave me a good slap not to give in too quick and sort of really, really tough it out. And if things aren't going well, uh, what I should have done, I should have gone over to Jody and said, hey, mate. I'm having trouble getting enough leads in to give myself two or three appointments a day, and I need to be seeing that many people because I need to turn over X amount so I can I can you know have a solid return and have a lifestyle I want. Otherwise, what's the point of doing it? And I think I was a little I was young, um, so I think I was a little bit too proud. Early twenties. Don't be wrong, I was often a pretty good salesman for a, for a young person. I was I was taught taught very well, um, and the product I offered, I'd, I'd actually sold to a lot of my mates and. You know, obviously, if you're playing, oh, I play rugby. So a lot of guys that play rugby would get injured all the time, couldn't turn up to work. So all my mates that were playing footy were, were you know, hurt their leg or broke their hand or whatever, and they were chippies. They were all getting paid out, so they were loving it. You know, they, they basically would go as hard as they could on a Saturday because it was risk-free for them. Now, so they really enjoyed that. So that was good. So plenty of testimonials. But, you know, I think not having the experience around how to acquire those new clients the right way, once that existing pool of people that I knew plus uh, my basic networks were there, I was like, oh, right, I'm really just trickling along with my new business. So, yeah, anything like that, lead flow is more important than experience because at the end of the day, if you have leads coming in constantly, you'll always have a new opportunity. So if you, you know, like a better term, fuck something up early, there's something to replace it. Whereas if you're getting you know, one or two leads a day and you need 10 to keep you sufficient, what are you doing? <laughs> that was massive. Thank you touched on something there with like the moonlighting for somebody else and being like, you know, this is like a risk-free option. Like I'm getting paid and I, you know, don't have all the responsibilities and the pressure. And I think that's one thing that as business owners and entrepreneurs, it's very easy to slip into. And I mean, I've done it multiple times just being like, nah, I'm done. I'm going to work for like 
at the grocery store. I don't want to deal with any of this anymore. And the one thing with everyone that I've spoken to is even when they have those moments, they always come back to their own business, their own journey, whatever that looks like. Because I think there's like, there is something different about people that take these steps into business ownership because you've got to, even though the security financially, you know, everything like that, you still want more and you're still willing to step outside that comfort zone, take those risks and push yourself further. Yeah. Well, I think, I think you're, you're dead right. And it, so and like it's not it's not so much the financial aspect of it. Like, don't get me wrong, that is like a big motivating factor. It's like oh, I can go into a job and I can earn, you know, you know, say say good job's gonna pay you 150k a year, you know, you're gonna be quite proud and you can buy yourself a nice house and, and all those sort of things, you know, like that's that's sort of the career path you get to and you're like, all oh, right, I'm I'm scratching the top of that of that sort of element now, you know, and like that's a really good income if someone's earning a job, right? Uh, someone's working a job. But I think when you work for yourself, you get this completely different sense of pride. It's like every dollar I made now was as a result of my efforts. And that's a, that's a totally different feeling. And I think you can quite happily earn a lot less working for yourself. Not that that should be a goal. You know, one thing I will say, you should never start a business looking for a job because that is really dumb because you can go get a job, especially in this market. You know, like there's jobs everywhere and they're paying reasonably well. So if you're opening a business with the intention to work in there all the time, Stupid idea. If you're retiring and you want to buy a business to to move into and, and work and live, totally get that. But if, if you're just starting a business to have a job, that is a terrible idea. And what you should be starting a business to do, and this is one thing that we made an issue with, with, our, with our shop, we used to come in and we were there every day. That It took us two years to look at, like, you know, take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture and be like, oh, my God, we're so dumb. We're supposed to be doing this. You know, and it, it might have been something so simple as changing the way that people enter your store, changing the flow of customers around your store. And, you know, some changes we implemented and we got a 10% return on turnover within a month. And you're like, what have we been thinking? But even now, like we have massive arrays of flowers in the shop. As soon as someone walks in, there's all these big, beautiful, dry bouquets of flowers and then there's fresh flowers over here. So if someone walks in, they've got something beautiful to look at straight away. And we used to have some fresh produce and stuff there that wasn't turning over that well and our flowers were off to the side because it wasn't that primary turnover thing. But at the end of the day, if people are coming in for fruit and veg. They need to see what else you have reasonably quickly. They can see your specials from the front entrance. But like just some basic stuff that if you're working it as a job, you do this, you do that, you do that. Okay, everything seems right. I'll go home. Whereas if you're looking at it as the owner of a business and, you know, you should, I think, constantly not look at what your business is but where you want it to go and then all those little increments in between and then constantly change some kind of an improvement. And that way, if you're constantly in a, a mindset of, I can make this better, then you'll always be looking for ways to improve. And it's not saying that, done everything wrong so far it's not like that at all it's like you've done something great you built something that wasn't there before uh, it's just is this how you pictured it in your mind and is what you pictured where you want it to go so yeah i mean that's a constantly evolving thing as well like you might you might get to your goal and be like oh wow we built this you know we've got five six staff and it's, it's doing really well it's turning over i don't have to be in there every day uh, i can sit back and relax um and then you sort of sit there and i think like in your head you have all these little goals where you're like oh, yeah, we can do that and that and that and then you get there. But then like once you reach it, it takes about a month and then you're like, bored now. What's I'm next? Like, yeah, you, you, you do. You get complacent. And you're sort of like, I need to I need to figure something out to to turn this into something great. I've got something good, I want it to be great. And then I think once you've got something great, you're like, 
how do we become like the number one store in our area? Or how do we, you know, how do we scale up so we're now twice the size and service twice the customers? And I think that's one thing is really important is not necessarily to worry about like the dollar figure on your turnover. But sometimes how many, like you need to look at how many people you're serving, how many, um, what, what your average spenders, all these other little things that impact your business so much more heavily and make goals around those that aren't just financial. Um, so like even though you might have, you know, your aim might be to turn a you know, $10 average sales or a $15 average sale, it shouldn't necessarily be about the, ter- the, the turnover there, but just how much more can I get someone to spend in my store as opposed to somewhere else? Like, where can I add value to what they're already buying as opposed to I'm going to make five more bucks out of this customer? You know, like, because this thing, as soon as you start thinking about that, you, your whole mindset changes to being greedy and then you stop adding value to what you're selling. And then why would people shop with you, you know? That was the gold. That was the gold in this episode. <laughs> that was, yeah, absolutely. And when you were speaking, I was thinking, like, it's such a corny saying, but it's the concept of working on your business instead of in your business. So like mm-hmm. you were saying about if you're you know starting a business to have a job, that's working in your business. And you have to have, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, you have to have that mindset to be able to see things from above with a future-focused goal because otherwise just go and get a job at McDonald's. It's a lot less stressful. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it's, it's sort of like having an investment house. You know, like if you, if you manage to purchase an investment property, you're not living in it, you're renting it out. But then when the lease comes around, you're like, right, am I, am I making enough to cover the mortgage? Um, you know, where are my other expenses? Right, I need, I need to do X, Y, and Z. If I put an air conditioner in there, I can get a little bit better back, a little bit more back. But hey, my tenant's going to be happier because the summers are horrible here. It's so hot. Like now I've got a happy tenant. I've got a longer term income stream. They're going to stay for longer. They look after it and I'm going to get capital growth out of it. All these little things that if you add value to what you're offering, like, I mean, especially like property at the moment, it's ridiculous. And landlords, some of them are being real pricks. I feel like those ones will be short term, especially if we have like an interest rate rise or something like that. And then you see people start to panic sell in the first few months. Um, some landlords have, who have mistreated their tenants will probably find that their, their tenants get a one up, you know, and they'll, they'll find the odd bit of opportunity. So hopefully for the people hunting, that does happen. Have you thought about going into business coaching? I think you'd be a really great business mentor. <laughs> I think yeah, after a few more years of experience, I would love to. Yeah, I think I think where I could probably help people the most though, which has benefited me, is utilizing your bank's understanding of your cash flows to be able to borrow money to grow an asset base outside of your business. I think that's the most important part of having a business is making sure that you know that it is a separate entity to yourself. As much as it might be an extension, it is a separate entity to yourself. And then you've got right, what else do I need to get my own personal goals up there? And, you know, if your personal goal is, I just want to have a business, fantastic, you can go do that. But if your personal goal is, you know, like for me, I, I always wanted to have three houses by the time I was 30. That was a massive thing from the time I was about 14. I was like, no, I want three houses by the time I was 30. And I managed to get there before that. And now I, that goal is like, it's a lot bigger than three. But if it wasn't for me opening the shop, despite its flaws at the start, it wouldn't have been a possibility. And so being able to understand how the bank will interpret your cash flows through your business to look like additional income, even though I haven't drawn a wage from my shop in two years, by the way, like I haven't taken one cent from it. I paid my, myself back a little bit of a loan, but it's, it wasn't much. But I've managed to purchase two houses because the bank looked at the shop's cash flows and was like, okay, well, if you get into a rough spot financially from your other job, you've still got other incomes. We'll lend you X amount more than what we would have otherwise. And I was like, oh my God. This is an opportunity. 
and then obviously like just trying to ride the timing of the property market as well at the same time is great. But now I have other assets on the side, which are independent to my business, that if the business falls on hard times, I can pull money out of them or vice versa. And so there's so many other safe nets there now for both of those things that my own independence financially feels so much better. And that's allowed me to broaden those original goals and be like, right, and you, know, you feel, feel quite good about that stuff as well. Amazing. That sounds like a whole nother podcast episode in itself. Yeah, that's definitely a big one. <laughs> okay, let's get into the rapid fire questions. So what is a fundamental value that you've woven throughout everything that you do and why is it important to you? Now, uh, work ethic. It is the most important thing because no one else will do it except the person who cares about what they're doing. And if you can't show to your staff how much you care about something, it'll end up being like a Walmart in America where they're just teenage drones everywhere who just do not care. But if someone sees passion that goes into it and the reason that you're working hard is because you've got this passion and this love for things, I think that's, that's, uh, that's a very, very important thing to have. If you could go back to the beginning of this journey, what's something that you'd tell yourself? Hire an expert. <laughs> yeah, just hire an expert from the outset and ask a thousand more questions than you think you're going to need to so that to the point where your questions sound dumb. No such thing as a stupid question. That's it. <laughs> now, I think you've already touched on this one, but was there ever a time that you wanted to walk away? The 2nd February we were open. I looked for exits in our lease to see what to do before I slapped myself and pulled myself out of that hole and then realized that was very dumb and I'm so grateful that I stuck it out. Mm-hmm. Amazing. What is your go-to remedy when you're having an off day? I don't have off days. You don't have off days? No, I, I have the odd bad day, but I don't have off days. So if you're having a bad day, how do you shake it off? It's over. I don't know. I don't, I don't dwell on anything. As soon as something bad happens, when we lost our, our grand final several years back, I was sad for 30 minutes. Like that was it. I wasn't going to dwell on it. I got stuff to do. I got a big old life and the sun's coming out tomorrow. So I don't want to waste that day sulking. I just decide. I just decide right then and there. It's not important. What is something that's happened in your business recently that you're proud of? Our cafe that we've opened, getting told that we have the best coffee in the area and just how well my, our staff have stepped up to look after us. Yeah. What's the big dream? For the shop, if we had about five locations, that would be brilliant. Five good locations, the size of a sort of a medium to large IGA would be perfect. That would be a you know a business that is in a position to scale heavily and sell if we wish. I think that would be something that's big. Um, outside of that, we have probably about 15 properties if possible. Yeah. What is a resource tool or system that you use in your business that you couldn't live without? Zero. Hmm. I don't know why anyone would ever try and reconcile accounts without software that's half decent. Uh, zero is so easy. Um, my accountant goes through it, tells me things that I don't know what to look for, but if I need to have a report for the bank or whatever else, I can pull it off in a heartbeat. I know exactly where the business is as long as my accounts are up to date. Yeah, so zero is, is unreal. What is a hot tip about your industry that people might not know? About the industry or about a product? Either, both. <laughs> Most fruit is picked three weeks before you see it. Really? <laughs> Some of it over a year. Well, how's this one? You can't eat olives fresh. Really? <laughs> really. I tasted one once and I was sick for about two hours. I, I mean, I don't, I don't like olives, so that's fine. But They have to be brined for a good, a good year. It's, they're, they're disgusting. But like Don, who has lots of experience, as I mentioned before, 
he tricked me one day and he's like, yeah, come on, mate, try these. They're delicious. And he just yeah, gives me all these. He's like, I'm like, what are these? They're olives. I'm like, oh, I don't feel like olives. Like, no, they're fresh ads. Just try them. So I, I put one in my mouth and I started chewing and I could not get the taste of like this acidic sourness out of my mouth for hours. It was horrible. And he just laughed. He thought it was the funniest thing in the world because he does it for everybody. Obviously, everyone that doesn't know, hopefully you won't get anyone else soon. What is your coffee order? A large flat white, as is. But I have started getting... Uh, and I make them now for myself and I saw it because someone ordered something similar. But I do an iced coffee, so I just put the ice in the glass, a little bit of maple syrup, like a teaspoon of maple syrup, cold milk, and then two shots of two shots of a door coffee. Delicious. It is delicious. <laughs> what is one piece of advice you'd give to someone listening right now who's thinking about starting a business or at the very, very beginning of their business journey? If you're at the very beginning, ask as many questions as you can and you go ask for help and understand that if someone can talk you out of it, that you shouldn't do it. That's good. Finally, what is your core motivator? Why do you keep showing up? I would like to be remembered for something more than the average person. Amazing. And any parting words of wisdom for our listeners? Anything at all? I don't know if I have any parting words of wisdom, but maybe to say thank you very much for having me. That if someone did ever want to pick my brain, that they are more than welcome to reach out. I will be sure to link all of your details in the description. If you are Gold Coast based, passing through the Gold Coast of Australia and you're in Nobby's Beach, head down there, get a coffee. Maybe not from Dylan. I've heard that he's not the best barista in town, but you know, <laughs> definitely stop in and say hi. Thank you so much, Dylan. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you this morning. No problem. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to share your own story or tell us what you think of this one, feel free to head over to Instagram and slide into my DMs. By the way, you're not going to want to miss next week's episode. I know I say this every time, but seriously, my next guest is kick-ass.